I was thinking this week, how much uh, do we use the word love in our language? How easily is that word thrown around? You might hear people say, I love golf. I love those shoes. I love that video game. I love barbecue. I love fishing. You fill in the blank. Maybe uh, I love my dog and I love my truck. A good start to a country song. I uh, love whatever. Read this a few years ago. I thought this was interesting. I've seen different forms of it, so someone made it up. But uh, this letter says, uh, Tommy, my love, no words could ever express the great unhappiness I have felt since our breaking of our engagement. Please say that you'll take me back. No one could ever take your place in my heart, so please forgive me. I love you, I love you, I love you. Yours forever, Mary. This is P.S. Congratulations on winning the state lottery. (laughs) I love coffee. I love my wife. I love my kids. I love, I love, I love. And the question for all of you is this. Do I truly love God? Because we tell people, I love God. But do you really love God? How do you know that you really love God? Do others know that you really love God? And how is there evidence of that in your life? This month we're focusing in on our mission statement as our church, as a church here at Discovery, uh, to know Christ and to make him known. Last week we began looking at the parable of the soils and that uh, the first part of this is that you need to know Christ And you need to know him through faith. And we spent time looking at the soils of the heart. um, And those who produce fruit are the ones who know Christ through faith in him. This morning as we look at the greatest commandment, we look at Mark chapter 12. And the scriptural truth this morning is to know Jesus Christ is to love him. And to love him is to what? It says up there, obey him. Look with me at Mark chapter 12, verse 28, and we'll read through verse 34. And one of the scribes came up, heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There was no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Again, we're blessed to read the word of God for us to grow and learn and understand our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. When you read this text, if you have not read the book of Mark or Matthew or Luke or John, there's a point here where Jesus uh, is at the temple, and this is the week that he is crucified. 
It's actually the middle of the week, and he has just been challenged by the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and they're trying to trap him because a long time before this point, they've already set out to put Jesus to death, to murder him. And he has just stifled the uh, Sadducees and the Pharisees' questions, trying to trap him, and he has answered correctly. Uh, there are many people around there for this uh, Passover feast, and so there's probably crowds around there in the temple as well. And you have the religious leaders, those who are supposed to lead the people to worship the Lord God, are going after God himself. And now you come to the scribe. The scribe is, a, is, a, is, is this one here is a group of scribes, again, experts in the law. These religious leaders would have had memorized the first five books of the Bible. If you have not read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, start in there and memorize all five books. Memorize every chapter, every word. These guys were experts. And the scribes were the experts of the experts because they were very concerned about what it actually says and what it actually means in the text. So this scribe comes up after he's heard the other religious leaders trying to take out Jesus and trap him, and he comes with a question. Not sure if he comes to, again, try to trap Jesus. You, you get the sense that maybe this guy is a little respectful towards what Jesus is answering in his response to him. But he hears the arguments, and he is impressed by Jesus' answers, and he says, which commandment is the most important of all? Fair question and good question. Again, if you read the first five books of the Bible in the Old Testament, you have the law given by God to Moses, to the nation of Israel, and you're to follow those. You go, well, there's a lot of laws in there. Well, these religious leaders also added to the first five books of the Bible. They added 613 extra laws. So again, I mean, imagine you have got your driver's license, and this year they add 613 extra laws to driving. It's like, man, I'm going to get pulled over for just getting in the car. Uh, they have 613 laws they added to God's, law, God's laws. 365 of them are don't do whatever. And uh, uh, 248 of them are do these things. They also divide them up. The most serious laws, the most demanding laws if you break them, and the least serious laws. And they had all these things. And so, again, it's like tiptoeing through a life. It's like, oh, I stepped on that leaf. Did I just break a law? I mean, that's the level that the religious leaders added on top of God's law. And so the people knew this, and we know this when we read this, is no one could keep those laws. They couldn't keep any of those laws, or maybe they might keep one for a day or for an hour, but then they broke this law. And the scribe says, which is the most important out of all the laws? Again, maybe to incriminate Jesus Maybe that Jesus would say something wrong so they could have him arrested. And Jesus says this in verse 29, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your what? Your heart with all of your what? Your soul with all of your what? Your mind with all of your what? Your strength. Jesus quotes the Old Testament. Go to the book of Deuteronomy. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy, 
Jesus is quoting what scripture we have here to read in Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's called the Shema. This was something that would have been quoted by the people of God twice a day, maybe three times a day. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5, says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Just what Jesus was saying. And it says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might, or your version might say, strength. Jesus quotes the Old Testament. These people had this memorized. If you were a part of that that group, you would have quoted this a couple times a day. Maybe some of you have seen some of the Jewish men with the boxes that they have around their forehead or maybe even on their wrist. They put the Shema or Scripture law inside those. Again, this was very important to the people of Israel as God gave them His word. Look here at what Jesus says. Four times he says, with all your, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. It's forceful and emphatic and it's repetitive. And whenever you see something repetitive in Scripture, pay attention, especially when Jesus repeats something. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, and he repeats something twice. It's very important that you pay attention. I mean, all of Scripture is very important that you should pay attention, but pay extra attention when you see something repeated, especially when it's a response to your love for God. Now, he points out here in the text, uh, to love the Lord your God with all your, what's the first one? With your heart. The heart, when you look at the heart in Scripture, it's uh, the center of all physical and spiritual life, your emotions, your passions, your desires, your affections. In uh, the Gospel according to Luke, in Luke chapter 6, Jesus says, out of the mouth, the what? The heart speaks. So what you say, it's rooted in your heart. Some of you have spoke some lovely things this week. And maybe some very unlovely things. Maybe some things about your love for God and some things of not your love for God. It's rooted in your heart as Jesus teaches in Luke chapter 6. Is your speech consumed with Jesus? Do the things that you say to others consumed with your love for God? Or is it consumed with your love for the world? Things about yourself, me, myself, and I. Things of the foolishness of the world. Your heart tells the truth about your love for God. The second one, he says, love Lord you God with all your what? What's the second one? With all your soul. The breath of life. Your spirit. The entirety of your being. When you die, your body goes into the ground. Your soul, if you're a follower of Christ, goes to heaven. As Hebrews teaches us, perfected in holiness. That your sin is completely taken away. It says to worship or to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. In the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 6, it says this about Jesus Christ in verse 19. We have this sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. You need an anchor for your soul. 
And the only steadfast anchor is Jesus Christ. It says a hope that enters in into the inner place behind the curtain. If you read that chapter and about the work that Christ has done, what we celebrate and we give thanks for when we take uh, communion, the Lord's Supper together here in just a few moments, we are remembering the work that Christ did to save his people from their sins so that our soul would be anchored. And not be driven and blown away in the storm, but that our souls would be anchored in Christ for all eternity. So that in Christ you have assurance in him that if you die today, your faith in Jesus Christ, your soul is secure. And your soul will go to be with the Lord God Almighty. The third thing, it says, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, love God with all of your what? Mind. Now, some of you paid attention when we read Deuteronomy. And you said, wait, it didn't say with all your mind in Deuteronomy chapter 6, what is Jesus doing here? I was surprised as I read that. I thought, how come the scribes didn't jump on Jesus at this point? Well, he does address the mind. We'll look at that here in just a moment. Because you think, wait a minute, there's a warning in Scripture. Don't add or take away from the Word of God. What is Jesus doing? Do not forget that in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was God, and the Word was with God. If you read on, Jesus Christ is the Word. Jesus Christ is God. So Jesus Christ is the only one who can add to His Word because He is the Word. And so Jesus adds in here the mind. But we'll see why here. Your intelligence, your understanding, your feelings, your thoughts. Your mind is so key in your love for God and evidence of that. In Matthew chapter 16, there's a point at which Jesus tells his disciples, hey, I'm going to die. Peter says, no way, Lord. No, you're not. And he says to Peter, he says, get behind me who? He says, get behind me, Satan. And what's interesting, Jesus goes on to say to Peter, you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. How often does our mind go to the things of man instead of the things of God? And what happens is as we begin to think of our life, our worries, our troubles, our wants, everything that we desire in this world, our mind is driven away from thoughts of God. It's so key in our love for God and evidence of thereof when you see Jesus says, love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, and mind. You could read a lot about this in the New Testament, beginning in Romans chapter 8. The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8, to live, it says, live according to, um, if you live according to the flesh, your mind will be set on the flesh. Instead, you're to live by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. And it says to set your mind on the Spirit of God. Paul goes on in Romans chapter 12 and talks about the need for your life to be renewed by the transforming of your mind. And as you do that, those things of the world, the foolishness of mankind, the pride of life, that those things get set aside so that our mind is set on Jesus Christ and our love for him. In Colossians chapter 3, the apostle Paul says to not set your mind on the things of the world, but look above. Set your minds on things above where Jesus Christ is seated. We were just singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. 
to read scripture when it talks about the throne room of heaven where the angels are declaring that constantly day and night set your mind on Jesus Christ who's seated above who is returning because he has promised to do so. Paul writes to the church in Philippi in Philippians chapter 2. He says to the church, he says, have the mind of who? Jesus Christ. Have the mind of Christ. It says, goes on, who humbled himself by being obedient to the Father to the point of death. You see, we look to Jesus Christ to follow his example because he loved the Father and you see that in evidence that he was completely obedient to the Father. So he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your what? What's the fourth one? Your strength, your might, your physical strength, your abilities, your uh, forcefulness, or this picture of strength and might that as uh, Paul told the church in Corinth, whether you eat or drink, do all for the glory of God. Some of you uh, moved some things this week at work. Some of you were typing up things this week. Some of you were doing things at school this week. Whatever it is, with all of your strength, with all of your might, you love God. All of the things that you do. And you still might come up with this question that I wrote down. How do I know if I love God? How do I know if I truly love God? The key here is obedience. And at the same time, every time that we talk about obedience, I believe there's a lot of trouble for the hearts of God's people. Because the battle we have is that I need to be obedient, so I'm going to do this, and I'm going to be obedient to this way. Then I know I love God. And we miss the whole point that we're taught that the Holy Spirit does a work in us to make us obedient and any time we try to set out on our own, apart from the Holy Spirit, you are not going to obey God. And you're going to be surprised. Why did I not obey God? I set out to obey Him today. It's because you're not walking in the Spirit of God, relying on the Holy Spirit of God to do that work in us. Because in our mind, we think we have a better plan. Tonight at 5 o'clock in our evening service, we're in First John chapter 2. First John, uh, chapter 2, John says this to the Christians in chapter 2, verses 3 through 6, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly, the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. If any of you are concerned or questioning, am I saved or not? How do I know? Is there any assurance? Read 1 John. Repeatedly. We're told in 1 John, as John wrote to the early believers, here's how you know. Here's the assurance. Here's the tests in that sense. And yet you still might find yourself this morning saying, it is impossible. Pastor Paul, I struggle with obeying God. I sin. I set out to do something I wanted to do, 
so that I'd glorify God and I didn't do it. And there were things I didn't do that I wanted to do and vice versa. And you're repeating scripture really what Paul says in the book of Romans. There's this battle that goes on. Turn to the book of Ezekiel in the Old Testament. Ezekiel chapter 36. In Ezekiel 36, verse 26, God writes to the prophet, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and here it is, listen, and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Do you see that? It does not say, I'm going to change your heart, and then you're going to do this. No, it says he will cause you to walk in his statutes and be careful to obey his rules. It is the Holy Spirit of God who can make anyone who's disobedient to the word of God obedient. But what Jesus brings up before the scribe is a very real problem for the people then and for us now. <clears throat> Not one of us can keep God's commands. Not one of us can keep God's laws. We might do well with one for 30 minutes and break 10 more in a row after that. The whole key, though, is this fact that we cannot keep God's laws apart from we cannot be obedient apart from a work of God, the Holy Spirit, in a person's life. <clears throat> Obedience is a mark of being a disciple of Jesus. When you read in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then it says, and teaching them to what? Obey or observe all that I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So we're to teach other people to follow Jesus and to be obedient. The problem is many times the church sets people up for failure and says, obey, 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 obey. And they're like, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. I've tried all week, Pastor. I failed every single time. And again, the key is I failed every time. If you're obedient to God, it's because the Holy Spirit has made you obedient. And so you should pray every day, as the book of Ephesians says, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, fill me up today that I would be obedient to what you called me to do. Not to just check the list, okay, I followed that law and that law and that law. No, but be obedient to how God has called us to live according to him. And so there's a, there's a call to action when we love the Lord God with all of our soul, our mind, our strength, <clears throat> our heart. Last year when we were in the book of James, we saw that faith that saves without works is dead. And James made it very clear that faith with works doesn't save you. Faith alone in Jesus Christ alone saves you. 
But, as we saw in the parable of the soils last week, the good soil always produces a harvest and there's fruit. James says, true saving faith always has works. You can't separate them. It doesn't say perfect. And so you and I, as you read 1 John, will battle with sinfulness and disobedience until the day that we're with the Lord and our soul is perfected. There was a, a physician, um, a psychologist who was approached by a woman and she said, I hate my husband. I want a divorce. And I want to hurt him. And he said, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home. You're going to set him up. I want you to really act like you love your husband. Convince him of your great love for him. Go out of your way to encourage him. Be kind, be generous, be caring. Serve him. And then, right when that's built up, then divorce him. A few months go by, the doctor contacts the woman. And she says, you know what? There, there is not going to be a divorce. I realize I actually love him. You see, she set out to do these things. This love for her husband grew in her heart. And this is the picture when Jesus calls us to love him with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is not just some thought, but there's this faith with actions. And yes, we will not be perfected until we're with the Lord. But while we walk this earth by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit can lead us in our love for God and being obedient to Him. But as soon as we think we have a better plan to obey God and show love for Him, you will fail and you will not obey Him. And you will say, woe is me, why did I blow it again this week? We need the power of the Holy Spirit to walk in accordance to the Word of God. And so Jesus says, love God. That's that first point that we look at here. But the second point, Jesus doesn't stop with his answer to the scribe, love the Lord your God this way. But he says, you know what? Let me add in also the second greatest commandment, which is to love others. Verse 31, it says, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as what? As yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And you think, why did Jesus add the second one? All he was asked was, what is the greatest? Why did he add these together? Again, what Jesus does, he quotes the Old Testament. In Leviticus 19, verse 18, it says, to love your neighbor as yourself. In the Gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus is approached by a lawyer, and he asks, how can I receive eternal life? And Jesus says, what is written in the law? The lawyer states exactly what Jesus does. The first and the second commandment. And Jesus tells the lawyer, he says, you are right. And the lawyer, though, then goes on, instead of focusing in on the first one, goes to the second one and says, but Jesus, who is my neighbor? And really deep down, some of you want to know that question too. Do I have to love that person? Is that person really my neighbor or not? And what Jesus does, he goes on to tell the parable of the Good Samaritan. Many people know the parable of the Good Samaritan. 
The guy who was uh, attacked by some guys to rob him. They beat him. They left him for dead. And the religious leaders are walking down the street. And they go around him to avoid him. And no one helps him. But the Samaritan stops Pours oil on his wounds, binds up his wounds, puts him on his uh, animal, takes him to the hotel, pays for it. He says, hey, and when I come back through, if he needs to stay longer, I'll make up the difference. After he tells this, the lawyer then says, all right, so Jesus says to the lawyer, which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. It may be very easy at times for you to love your family. It may be easy at times to love your church family, to love other believers, but those outsiders I don't know about. And some of you, I know right now, there's names in people's faces that are in your minds right now. You're going to see them tomorrow and you're like, I don't want to even talk to that person. I don't want to even look at them. I don't want to work with them or go to school with them or whatever. I don't want to talk to that family member on the phone. Oh man, do you know what my neighbor does? And on and on. But Jesus says, that one go, the one that showed mercy, love him. And the reason why they pointed it out was a Samaritan. <laughs> he was not one of them. He'd be this outside Gentile to them. No, we don't love them. And he says, no, go and love him. In 1 John, again, John writes to the church, to the believers. He says this in 1 John 5, verses 1 through 3. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments, for this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not what? Burdensome. But how often do you think, oh, Lord, these things are so hard. Do you know the reason why you think that? Because you think you can obey them. You think that God is calling you on your own to be obedient to His laws, His commandments. You can't. Apart from the Spirit of God, you can't. And so that's why we must rely on the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> because as we rely on the Holy Spirit... God's laws, His commandments, what He's called us to are not burdensome. And we love Him with our heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and we love our neighbor as ourself. <clears throat> First John chapter 4, verse 19, verse 21, 19-21. We love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a what? He's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Do you know that he's addressing Christians there in the church? Have you ever been a part of a church and there's someone in the room that you do not like whatsoever? Someone, you, some of you may even be a part of Discovery because you left a church because you didn't like someone. That person treated me horrible. They did this to my family. They said this to me. 
They took my seat. I'm serious. I know we laugh. And I think we laugh because we know it's true. The most piddly things can set us off with another person and we're like, they're my enemy. They took the last glazed donut. I, I know they're ridiculous, but when you think about reasons why you don't like someone and you don't love them, even as John warns the church, other brothers or sisters in Christ, get to the root of what it is. Now, some of you will say, I've had people abuse me in my life verbally, physically, whatever. They've treated me horrible. And it's like, there's a lot of deep feelings there. There's a desire. Like, I don't want to love them whatsoever. And the hard part is in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, to love your enemy. There are people in your life that you view as your enemy, and your battle as a follower of Christ is to love that person. You're like, and then here's the next step. Okay, I'll love my enemy, but how am I supposed to do that? Where do I can, I can only go to this far. It's like, we're to follow Jesus' example. As Jesus Christ hung on the cross, as they were hurling insults at him, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Think about everything that you have done in just breaking God's law, in the sinfulness of your life. It's one of those things, it's like you sinned greatly against God. You were born against him. It's like we are enemies, as it tells us. And yet, as we just read in John, 1 John, he loved us first. And he forgives us of our sins through faith in him. Your love for others, Jesus points out, is really, in a sense, your love for God as well. Your love for others is a picture of your love for God. So just pause for a second. Who are the people that are coming to your mind? Some of those you've written off, you haven't even talked to in years those who you see every week, who are those people that are coming to your mind? There's, like, there's no way I can love them. And maybe right now, Lord, I, I don't know how to love them, and apart from your spirit working in me, I have no way to show them love. Start praying for that person. Start praying not only for that person, but pray the Holy Spirit would move your heart towards loving them. And so he says, love God, love others. And in verses 32 through 24, <clears throat> this third point is, he says, you're not far from the kingdom. The scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one. There is no other beside him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. If you go back and read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, there's chapters, verses, many of them about sacrifices, about going to the temple, going to the tabernacle, all these ways that the animals were to be prepared, what type of animal, what you were supposed to do, the incense that was supposed to be burned, how you did these things. And this scribe says, yes, what you've said is more important than all those things. Loving God and loving others. What's interesting is the scribe is basically saying, Jesus, good job. Good answer. You're correct. 
And the scribe has no idea, as he's judging Jesus' answer, that Jesus, the one true God who is holy and the just judge who judges his soul, is standing before him. Yes, Jesus, you got it right. And Jesus says something which you might think is a good statement, but I have to say that every time I've come to this verse, verse 34 this week, I'm like, this is, this is like the worst statement ever. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared ask him a question. <clears throat> Have you ever been so close to something but didn't touch it? Have you ever heard the terms like so near yet so far? Many of you thought that over watching your football teams over the past weeks. Close, but no cigar. November 27, 1991. I was a junior in high school playing football. We were playing Kalinga High School for the Valley Championship uh, game. Crazy storm that night. Wind just unbelievable. Couldn't throw the ball. The, the wind was blowing so hard. It was a field goal game, basically. We get down towards the end of the game. I can't remember if it was like a minute and a half, something like that, that left. We're up six to three. We're like, just, just get the clock run out, stop them. They get down uh, into, into field goal range, but the wind is actually blowing against them. So we're like, yeah, we got this one. The wind's been blowing it down. And so I come off the field as a team goes in that's trying to stop. They set up for a field goal uh, for a wind. And what happens is I turn around and, they, and look back. I can still see it. One of our linemen goes through and blocks the field goal. Our team just erupts. I mean, it's so, the wind was so loud, you couldn't even hear anything. The guys are celebrating on the field to the point that they don't realize the, the ball's still alive. No one's blowing the whistle. The quarterback literally picks up the ball and just kind of trots into the end zone. They win the game. We don't get the Valley Championship ring. I'd never seen guys crying like that before. I was like, come on. I didn't have any tears, no. Um, it was like, man, we were so close, but we didn't win. Do you see why? This is, it's not a good statement what Jesus says to him. The scribe should be turning back and saying, well, how do I get in? It's like, there's a line. You're close, but you're not in. There's only two people in this world. And you're one of them. You're either in the kingdom or you're not in the kingdom. Scripture tells us that. There's no in between. You are either, either in the kingdom of God or you're not. Jesus says to the scribe, he's like, your theology is correct. You're correct in your understanding. But correct theology will not get anyone into the kingdom of God. Even the demons believe that Jesus Christ is God. But yet they'll be cast into hell for eternity. You could be just like the scribes, just like the Pharisees, just like the Sadducees, and you could know your Bible forward and backwards like even some atheists do. And yet 
you can be just like this man. You're close, but you're not in. And those who are close and not in and die never get into the kingdom. Turn to the book of Acts. One more passage of scripture. In Acts, I'm going to read from chapter 2 in just a minute, verse 36. Jesus Christ has died. He was buried. He rose again on the third day. He was with the people of God for 40 days, teaching them about the kingdom of God. They see him ascend into heaven, and they're standing there, and the two angels there are saying, what are you doing? He's going to come back the same way that you just saw him leave. Go and do what he told you to do. And they go back into Jerusalem. They go into the upper room. There's about 120 of them gathered, and they're praying. And you get to Acts chapter 2, and the Holy Spirit of God that was promised, as we read in the Gospel of John, I think it's chapter 8, where Jesus says that he must leave so that the Helper, the Holy Spirit, would come to convict the world of sin. And the Holy Spirit comes upon the people of God, and people are like going, what's going on here? And Peter preaches the first gospel message. And he tells them about Jesus. And the prophets prophesied this and what happened in the life of Christ. And then he says this in verse 36 through 39. He says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, speaking Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Do you see, they asked the question after their heart was cut, what do we do? I'm a sinner. My sins, Jesus Christ bore on the cross. He was crucified. What should I do? He says, repent and be baptized. This picture of believing in him. Romans chapter 10, I read to you last week. It says, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that Christ was raised from death to life. You read 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and the apostle Paul says, the most important thing, church, you need to know is what I taught you. He says in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins. He was, according to scriptures, he was buried and on the third day rose again according to scriptures. Church, if you're asking the question, if you're close to the kingdom of God but you're not in, you should be asking, how do I get in? And that's through faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation and that all your works mean nothing because you can do nothing to get in. There's nothing that you can say or do. Call out to God. Admit that you're a sinner. Say, Jesus, save me. I believe of what you've done. And the God of mercy, he saves his people from their sins. And he brings them into his kingdom. And the hope promise that Jesus returned and that one day all of his people would be with him. It's a glorious thing.
So let's evaluate for a minute and bring this to a close as we worship team comes forward and we prepare to take the Lord's Supper together. <clears throat> if you are not in the kingdom of God, if you're in this room, if you're listening online, if you are not in the kingdom, you are not in a safe place. If you're not in the kingdom, you are not saved. And if you die today, you will not be in the kingdom of God. And so as Paul begged people, the apostle Paul begged, turn to Christ. Again, I beg you, if you're outside the kingdom, repent of your sins, believe in Jesus Christ that he is Lord and Savior. If you are a follower of Christ, the questions you should ask today is these questions of, how do I know I love God? You read 1 John. There's some tests there. We're actually looking at them tonight. Do other people know that I love God? Would other people describe my life as one who loves God and what I say and what I do? Do I love my neighbor? Does my neighbor know that I love them? Church, what changes need to happen in your heart this morning that only the Holy Spirit can do? What changes do you need to ask? Say, Lord, I need this type of softening on my heart today. Lord, this aspect of my life needs to change. I've been trying to fix this part to please you and realize that I've been trying to do something apart from the Holy Spirit. What is it that you need to speak with the Lord this morning? <clears throat> Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you love us greatly. We thank you, Jesus, that it, you loved us first, and that you haven't commanded or demanded uh, some type of steps to go through to be saved. We thank you for working upon our hearts, Holy Spirit, opening our eyes to the gospel, giving us the gift of faith to believe. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would continue to work upon us today to walk in holiness and obedience to our Lord and Savior. <clears throat> Father, I pray that you would be with those who are struggling to love their neighbor this morning, that you would work upon their hearts and show them how to show love to those people that seem so unlovable. <clears throat> show them how to love their neighbor. Those who persecute them, would you show them how to love them? Father, would you work upon us this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat>